Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dr. Uma Naidu, what Michelin-starred chef David Boulay calls the world's first triple threat in the food and medicine space. A Harvard-trained psychiatrist, professional chef graduating with her culinary school's most coveted award, and a nutrition specialist. Dr. Naidu founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States. She is the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Mass General Hospital and Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at Mass General Hospital, while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. She was considered Harvard's food mood expert and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal. Dr. Naidu is also the national best-selling author of This Is Your Brain on Food, which you can hear more about in an earlier Live Purely episode, and her most recent book, Calm Your Mind with Food, which comes out next week. In this episode, we talk about the global rise of anxiety disorders driven by the COVID-19 pandemic and nutrition's role in mental health. Dr. Uma Naidu shares her approach to relieving anxiety, the latest research on how anxiety is rooted in the brain, gut, immune system, and metabolism, and how to effectively use food and nutrition to calm the mind and enhance overall mental well-being. We also discuss the impact of children's diets on their health and anxiety and her approach to managing symptoms. Lastly, we talk about her favorite foods and tools for mental well-being, her flexible approach to creating healthier habits, and how to be more mindful while eating. Dr. Uma Naidu is such a wealth of knowledge. Keep listening to learn more. It's officially oatmeal season, and I'm so excited to share that you can find our Purely Elizabeth oatmeal products at select Walmart stores just in time to get cozy with a warming breakfast. You can find our blueberry flax oatmeal multi-packs and dark chocolate chunk oatmeal cups in the cereal aisle. Our gluten-free instant oatmeals are made with organic oats combined with five superfood grades and seeds for a delicious taste and texture. Our packs and cups make for an easy breakfast, snack, or dessert, and they're also perfect to take on the go. Click the store locator in the show notes to find a Walmart store near you. Happy oatmeal season and happy shopping. Dr. Uma Naidu, welcome back to the podcast. It is an absolute honor to have you back on and huge congratulations to you on your latest book. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm always happy to speak with you. We always have such fun conversations. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I thought we would just dive right in and really start with a question to summarize the book. And what is the one thing that you want readers to take away from reading your new book, Calm Your Mind with Food? If you could only pick one. If I would pick one thing, it is that we do have the power at the end of our fork to impact the level of our anxiety. And it's a gap that most people are overlooking. Um, turning to pills or to very important forms of therapy and other means. But food is also something that is within our power. And I want people to understand that first and foremost. I love that. Certainly, the mission of the book really resonated um, with me. I know it'll resonate with our community. And, you know, as the last couple of years where anxiety has just been on the rise since COVID, and we really have this mental health epidemic. I would love just to kind of ground us in, where are we today? What are some of those kind of stats on anxiety? And probably all of that spurned to, I'm sure, inspire you to write the book. Uh, So true. You know, um, anxiety disorder is actually the most common mental illness in the world, and this has consistently been shown in research. After the COVID-19 pandemic, the level of anxiety disorders have grown from about 298 million people affected to 374 million people, which was a rise of about 25%, which is, you know, just a huge marker. And 
understandable that when we turn left or right or anything in anyone in our lives, everyone's experienced some something of a tinge of anxiety, to, you know, whether small, medium, or large, so to speak. But, you know, there's more to it as well, Elizabeth. Um, the American Psychological Association showed that three-quarters of adults report symptoms of stress. And this was before COVID. So they were already reporting that many people just were reporting symptoms of stress. So we can only imagine that has also increased, right? But I also was concerned that, you know, about 70% of people, and this has been shown in research with mental illness, receive no treatment from an actual healthcare provider. So there's several people out there that don't either don't have access or perhaps the stigma associated with it, but they're not necessarily getting treatment. And um, I think this is where tools like food and nutrition become an additional tool in their toolkit to help us through um, what we know has become mental health is definitely a crisis, but anxiety has become its own epidemic of sorts. And would you say that, you know, even if you're someone who has identified that you have anxiety and you are taking medications or seeing someone eating the wrong foods, I'd imagine isn't helping and, and is, is really deterring from perhaps the other path that you're going down with medications and things like that. That's absolutely correct. Cause I often, uh, you've heard the expression, you know, you can't exercise out of a bad diet. In a, in a very similar way, you know, it's great to say you're seeing a provider and you're taking a medication for anxiety. But if you're eating, you know, unhealthy foods the 100% of the rest of the time, you are not helping yourself because what you're doing is you may be taking medication, but the foods that you're eating are, you know, bringing in inflammation to your body, especially your gut and then your brain, and just setting you up to fail. So cleaning up your diet, no matter what, whether maybe you're seeing a therapist, maybe you're taking a medication and seeing a therapist, whatever treatment you might be in, the food can always only enhance and improve upon what you're already doing. And it's also, in some cases, a solo treatment, along with more of a holistic and integrated model of care, like exercise, movement, meditation, mindfulness, um, fresh air, hydration, and that type of thing. So it's also, you know, meant to be something that you can do in combination with other things as well. Now, how do we really define anxiety? Is there a great definition that you can share? Because sometimes I, I wonder about, you know, what's that? Am I stressed? Is this anxiety? What What is this? Right. Right. So anxiety usually, you know, comes out of nowhere. Uh, sometimes when you're stressed, we often may know the source. We have having a difficult work day or we have a difficult project or there's something going on at home that's stressing us out. But, you know, with anxiety, very many people will report just that it comes out of nowhere. And um, it's a feeling of waking up. And, of course, there's a clinical definition as, as you know, kind of outlined in DSM-5TR which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. But I'll give you sort of a working explanation that people can identify. You know, they wake up with a feeling of a pit in their stomach, uh, wake up with a feeling of worry, not even sure what the worry is about, but every day they just wake up worried. Um, having, you know, an increased heart rate, um, sweaty palms, just feeling so overwhelmingly uh, worried and stressed about something. And sometimes, you know, very often my patients will say that they can't, that it's not linked to something specific. It just comes on. Then, of course, the things like panic, which can be very frightening, the feeling of your heart racing, your sweaty palms, just feeling, you know, sometimes dizzy, sometimes nauseous. They actually feel like a physical, physiological change in your body. So I feel that one of the things I want people to know is when you are slowly and steadily working on a nutritional psychiatry plan to sort of clean up your diet and improve, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. None of us is perfect. But for the most part, you adding in those healthy foods and those gut, uh, those gut rich foods that are health, that have fiber, that are helping nurture your gut microbes. When you are adding in the foods that are helping you, you are fending off oxidative stress and inflammation. So you were going to be supporting yourself in many more ways, not just in one way. So I think it's about finding that balance for every one of us. So you mentioned gut and inflammation. And in the book, you talk about how anxiety is really rooted 
And they're all interconnected in our brain, our gut, our immune system and metabolism, which um, I, I thought I was familiar with the brain, the gut, the immune system, the metabolism was an interesting add on to that. I'd love to dive into each of those. Perhaps we start with our gut and how our gut health and anxiety are connected. Sure. So, you know, um, we know uh, that the the guts and the brain are connected and we know that the gut and brain are connected from when we are um, in the embryo. And what I mean by that is they rise, the gut and brain arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo. They then divide apart to form two separate organs which remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve. And that acts as a messaging system, especially for neurotransmitters between uh, these two organs bidirectionally and also allows for that communication that goes on. And so the food that we eat, and often this is what I'll say to people, you know, what happens when you have a headache? You know, your headache is usually perceived somewhere in, in your brain or in your head, let's say, what do you do? And they'll often say, well, you know, I hope I have a Tylenol on hand and I take a glass of water and I swallow a pill. And, I sit, and then I say to them, well, what happens? You know, did you ever think about the fact that you're swallowing a pill, but it's actually working on your neural tissue because it's reducing some sort of pain or whatever the cause of that pain is in a very similar way. Just that simple example is really meant to take us to the fact that when we eat food, food is, you know, something we, we chew, we swallow, we digest in our gut, but it also has effects on other parts of the body. And one of those parts is the brain. And the, the evolution of the science around the gut microbiome, the gut-brain connection, especially over the last two decades, has really helped us understand that. Um, so the foods that we eat are broken down into either, either more positive substances like short-chain fatty acids, which really reduce inflammation and, and have antioxidant properties. Or if we are choosing more of a fast food, processed, ultra-processed diet, those breakdown products are more toxic to the gut and they feed the negative microbes. And then those, those microbes thrive. They set up for inflammation and dysbiosis in the gut. That leads to damage of the gut lining. So once the gut lining is damaged, these toxins enter the circulatory system and they also reach the brain. So it's, a, it's an ecosystem that we want to understand as being one of the bases for just improving our mental health or worsening our mental health. And we have control over that through the choices we make when we eat. And that's, you know, one way to understand how the gut and the brain are, are connected. So what I thought was really important in this conversation about gut is understanding that it's not just, you know, the foods that we eat are affecting our gut. And therefore, you know, if we have a an imbalanced gut that could lead to anxiety. Mm -hmm. But yes, on the other side of it, anxiety can lead to poor gut health, right? So it's sort of like a vicious cycle. Am I understanding that correctly? It is a vicious cycle because what I often find is, say we, we don't know, you know, the sort of the chicken and the egg sort of story and people come to me and they say, I'm so anxious that all I do is I turn to these processed ultra processed foods all the time i turn to these junk foods and i can only eat fast food because that's the only thing that soothes me one of the things to understand is that in the short term those types of meals may actually soothe someone because they allow for um some conversion of serotonin in the brain but it's a very short-term effect and unfortunately since it also um, increases sugar in the bloodstream and allows for insulin to be involved it's the long-term effects are actually not very good, especially in our metabolism, but also on brain cells. So you're absolutely right. If I also have people who are unable to sort of control even say a glass of wine or um, other foods that they, they're craving, um, often sugar-laden foods, the added sugars from those foods, because they want to feel calmer. They want, they want to calm themselves down. They want to soothe themselves. And unfortunately, that's just driving the symptoms in the wrong direction. It's really fascinating. And also, as I think about, I actually just had some gut issues. I had SIBO, I was mm -hmm. just diagnosed with, oh. wow. and wow. which was super surprising to me. I'm a very healthy, health conscious eater. And so it just made me think like, God, if I have, if I'm having these issues, how many other people have some sort of unknown gut issue that we don't know That's about right. that then is 
perhaps really affecting them mentally. And, Mm -hmm. and there's just so much to learn and discover through that. That's that's exactly right. I'm I'm sorry that you know you you're dealing with that, but you but it, you make such an excellent point. Many of us are walking around with possibly undiagnosed um, symptoms or an undiagnosed condition, but so much can be worked on through healing the gut because it it involves so many conditions. You know, uh, those gut microbes, the trillions of microbes that reside in the gut microbiome, they take care of many different things. They take care of our immunity. They take care of, you know, infection. So infection control. They deal with sleep and circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock. They deal with vitamin production and hormone production. They deal with mental health. So they, they have multiple functions that they're involved in. And some of the time we may unknowingly have a condition that's affecting the gut um, that therefore may be affecting other parts of our body. And so it's important to, you know, check in with the doctor, make sure that we are asking the right questions and getting the right tests done so that we understand what might be going on. For sure. I will say I've been completely gluten-free and dairy-free now for two and a half months. And I have like no symptoms I, I wow. had really wow. had bloating symptoms that I didn't realize. And mm. after like mm-hmm. three weeks, I felt completely better. So wow. that's impressive. So good to know that yeah. those might have been causing such inflammation for you. Absolutely. So when you think about or when you hear, you know, patients coming to you, what are some of the biggest food offenders that you often hear? And particularly my mind goes to kids. And as we think about Mm. the rise of kids having anxiety, like, yes, there's Mm. a million external factors, social media and all of this, but I'm sure there's also the influence of the kids diets today and we're right. they're loaded with sugars and refined flours and lots of gluten and all those other things. So what right. do you see as the kind of the biggest offenders when it comes to food anxiety and, and kids today? I think that for kids, I think the biggest, probably the leading one is going to be those added sugars that we don't even realize on it sometimes in savory foods like pasta sauces, ketchup, or even salad dressings. Uh, or just simply candy, you know, the, the stuff that they're consuming, the cookies, the candies, the, the snack foods, sometimes the savory snack foods also have uh, added sugar for flavoring because a lot of food companies will um, add bad sugar and they spend a lot of research de- and development adding sugar to, say, French uh, French fries from fast food restaurants that are engineered to be a particular way to tap into our cravings. So food, food, so children are a very vulnerable age group because they reach out for food. So they go to a vending machine and I know some schools have vending machines. So they're reaching out for snack foods that are just not the best for them. It's also those um, ultra processed uh, industrialized seed oils, artificial sweeteners. So something is labeled low sugar and people think of it as a healthy choice, but they may be loaded with the wrong types of the older artificial sweeteners. There's some newer ones that have better evidence related to them. Um, and then the wrong types of fats. So the trans fats, the hydrogenated fats that are often found in those shelf-stable cookies and pastries and, and things that um, they may reach out for. One of the things to be aware of is, you know, if children are eating poorly, not only is it driving anxiety, amping up the sugar in their body, and the amping up the sugar leads to just inflammation in the body, gut issues, inflammation in the brain. But the other thing is that they're not eating just for, for let's say, the 80-20, you know, one of the pillars of nutritional psychiatry is kind of that finding that consistency and balance. But about 80% of the time, if, they, if they're not eat, trying to or eating more whole foods, um, they also be setting themselves up for nutritional deficiencies. And it turns out that iron deficiency is pretty common in children. And iron deficiency, especially in children, in infants, children, and teenagers and adolescents is associated with anxiety. And one of the ways that that gets set up is if you're just not eating proper foods because you get, you know, you get iron from, um, uh, you know, you can get it from beans, legumes, and, and healthy whole grains. You can also get it from animal proteins and things like that. You can also get it from leafy greens and spinach and, and foods like that. So you can get iron in a lot of places. But if you're mostly eating, you know, <laughs> a diet of processed foods, you're just not getting those 
basic nutrients that your body needs, even things like magnesium. Many of us may be deficient in magnesium, but again, if they're eating, kids are just rushing out for processed foods, um, that's that's a problem. And they, they're really uh, increasing inflammation in their body without even realizing it. Sure. So those top foods that you just mentioned for kids, I'm sure are also the top foods to avoid for adults as well for anxiety. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, some of those nutrients, what are some of the, if any supplements that you recommend for adults to whether helping to strengthen your gut or to supplement, um, if you are someone who has anxiety. Some of the supplements that I think are worth looking into and discussing with your doctor include things like ashwagandha, because there's a good amount of evidence associated with anxiety. It's been used in Ayurvedic traditions for eons, but, um, it's not, a, it's not, it's very bitter tasting, um. So it's better in a pill form and uh, worth speaking to your doctor about something like that. Saffron. While we cook with saffron, it's an expensive spice. We only use very little when we cook with it. So although it's delicious and worth using, um, saffron has a good amount of evidence in clinical trials with supplemental saffron, and it helps mood and anxiety. And in the supplemental form, you also are given and get enough saffron in that capsule or that supplement. So that's worth talking to your doctor about. Other ones include vitamin D. In the Northeast, a lot of people may actually be deficient in vitamin D because of the level of sunshine. Worth checking in with your doctor. How much vitamin D do you usually recommend to take? So my my easy hack for vitamin D, Elizabeth, is spending 10 minutes in outdoor time in daylight without sunblock or sunscreen. That gives you 80% of your vitamin D for that day. So I think every one of us should be doing that. And then, of course, apply your sunscreen, your sunblock after the 10 minutes, but really not through a window, really spending 10 to 15 minutes outside. Um, but then in terms of, I always go to food first. Now, with the vitamin doses, they usually recommended doses for vitamin D for different age groups. So I always say to, say to someone, have your doctor check it if you're worried about the symptoms once you have a blood test, you know, he or she can help you supplement with the right form the, and the right dosage. But uh, my easy hack is really foods, foods first, and also outdoor time. Great. So let's, let's get into food. So we know that there's, not, you know, one approach for everybody, but overall, what is the best diet approach that you recommend to your clients and to the community to manage symptoms of anxiety? And then we'll get into a few of your favorite kind of all-stars. <laughs> sure. So, you know, it's funny because I, I like to make it easy for people. In, in the book, I go through an anxiety shopping list. I go through a, a food protocol and really to make it actionable. After sort of unpacking the science for people, how can they really put it to use? And why is it that we should pay attention to micronutrients and macronutrients? But Rather than give everyone too much of information, I have an acronym which I developed called CALM, C-A-L-M-S. And what I did is I kind of pulled from the book what I think people should have on their fingertips so that these are things that they're kind of always thinking about. And then there are many more foods that they can fill in. So the C is for colors. And by the colors, I mean, you know, those different colors of food, uh, uh, fruit, vegetables. They bring those different plant polyphenols, which nurture the gut microbes. They bring fiber. So think, you know, um, uh, carrots have carotenoids and uh, apples have q right? And so they have these different nutrients that are great and we should be eating them. So think colors. Then other C is vitamin C. And the third C is chocolate. By chocolate, I don't mean candy bars, <laughs> but I like people to know that they can eat extra dark natural chocolate because it's actually really rich, by the way, in a plant-based source of iron and uh, very rich in um, things like magnesium and even serotonin. So really nutrient dense and dark chocolate has been shown in studies, population studies, to actually improve mood. And we know that mood and anxiety run together all the time. So it's just worth getting into the colors, the dark chocolate, and the vitamin C. And then the A is for anthocyanins and ashwagandha. So anthocyanins from berries, uh, you know, this really bring out that beautiful hue in blueberries, but really great for the gut anti-inflammatory, antioxidant properties. And then ashwagandha, we touched on already. So I want people to remember that there's a choice. And then the L is for 
like your liquids. And by that, I mean, add your teas. People often overlook the fact that things like lavender tea, passionflower tea, chamomile, things with turmeric and a pinch of black pepper, all of these are really calming to the mind and shouldn't be forgotten. But before anything, I want people to be hydrating adequately because when we dehydrated, we can actually appear or experience anxiety. So like your liquids is about remembering your water and remembering that you can actually lean into these very calming teas that can help you. You know, I love to make a little infusion of dried lavender. I add in fresh mint and a slice of lemon. It's just something that is a great, for me, it's a very big pick-me-up. So I have coffee in the morning, but in the afternoon I reach for something like that, which kind of sets me up for a little bit of energy, but also not a buzz that's you know going to get me anxious. It, it's calming. Uh, it offers for calming as well. The M is for more omegas. So omega-3 fatty acids have a significant amount of evidence for anxiety disorders, and they're worth adding in. Many people get their omegas, omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish like salmon, but you can also get it from chia seeds, flax seeds, and walnuts, so plant-based sources as well. And then the S is for spices. So turmeric, the pinch of black pepper, rosemary, oregano, uh, capsaicin, many of the spices have good properties and good qualities in them that can help us, and they just work adding in. So I kind of want people to, to remember that these different types of foods from different food groups and keep them on their fingertips and be trying to eat them as much as possible. As you know, there are hundreds more f- foods in the book, but you also want to be able to go in the world with a few few ideas that you can turn to all the time. That's a great tip and, and good ones to remember. As you think about, I love that you have the 80-20 approach to your diet suggestions. That's a hundred percent how I live as well, really having that balance. So as you work with clients who are coming to you with anxiety issues, and maybe they're coming to you and they're eating a lot of sugar and processed foods, how do you approach making the changes in their diet and lifestyle? Because it's it's certainly not easy going from, you know, eating a hundred percent that way to being 80-20 that way. You know, that's such a great question because um, I think that part of my my protocols really evolved as I did more and more clinical work and research. And I realized that, you know, giving people a list of things to do is very overwhelming. So to your point, Elizabeth, you know, we, we want people to make slow and steady changes. And now I use the expression, you know, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So let's start with the one thing that you have started to do that is we know is not helping. you. And often I'll tell you, it's a great conversation starter <laughs> for this type of work because someone would be worried about one food. It might even be a glass of wine that they began drinking during COVID or it might be the, the cookies that they stocked up on during COVID. Um, it might be something that really evolved uh, during this phase of the pandemic. And they often want to change it. They're not quite sure how and they know that they like it and they look for it and they crave it. So how do they work with it? So often it's about first identifying it and then what we can swap out, what can we make a healthy version of that food, that beverage, that that snack that they're looking for? And can they start to change that, you know, most nights of the week? Can they, you know, if they can't give it up completely, can they do, can they start by doing this every other night? So swapping out that for a, a fruit with a piece of dark chocolate. One of my favorites is dark chocolate with a clementine. Can we do that instead of the bowl of ice cream? What I notice is, you take one habit like that, that's top of mind for the person, and you are able to work with them to switch out just that habit. The moment that they start to feel better, that they start to notice they're sleeping better, they're feeling calmer, um, something is changing, they really want to do more. And that's really when one can accelerate the plan to say, Let's try these three things. So in addition to the one habit, let's try two more things that you do. And you can slowly build it up from there because what has happened is the person is now understanding that link between changing how they're eating and the impact on how they're feeling. And that's very powerful. Once we once we get there, and that happens really, if someone's following the plan, it happens for most people. And then, and then we, we build up a sort of a nutritional psychiatry plate from there using those guiding principles. Because if someone is only eating at a fast food restaurant every day, you can't just put this nutritional psychiatry plate sure. in front of them and say, do this. Because 
It's not going to be something they want to eat. Um, they're going to have to build towards it. So I find that that's a good way to work it out with someone. That's a really great tip. And I think for anyone, whether they're seeing a professional or not, being able to self-identify and really write down a list of all of those items that you're having issues, you know, giving up or swapping and kind of start at the top of the biggest offenders and and go one by one Mm -hmm. to give you that confidence. How long would you say you typically see with your patients that it takes for, I guess, two, maybe two questions, like one to make that change, but then secondly, to really start to feel the effects of eating better therefore helping to lower their anxiety so the effects can be um in as short as a few days to a week and as long as three weeks usually by about two to three weeks someone is noticing a change if they've been consistent meaning that they've really made the effort you you know you can't do this once a week and think oh you know dr why why am i not feeling calmer you you can't try it out once and or, you know, do it today and do it next Monday and think it's going to work. It has to be consistent most most days of the week. So there's a range of that. And remembering that our gut microbiome is like a thumbprint, so it's pretty individual response for each person. But in terms of, you know, how sort of how do they implement this? They they have to leave my, you know, kind of my evaluation with sort of um an action plan related to what it is we want to tackle first. So say it's that I'm, I've started to eat a bowl of ice cream. This is a pretty common one. Bowl of ice cream or different flavors every single night. When we started this as a family tradition during the pandemic, I've heard this a lot. So what are we going to do now? Well, you know, can we cut down on portion size? That's one thing. Can we have one scoop instead of three? And every other night, can we switch that out from a recipe that I actually wrote in This Is Your Brain on Food, my first book? And that's made from bananas. And you can even make it a chocolate flavor with extra dark natural cacao, which again, all of these ingredients are helping your brain. And can we make a batch of that ice cream and keep it in the fridge and switch it out? So, you know, every other night, can we, can we have the, um, the fruit based ice cream and still we want to control the portion we want to not be eating a massive bowl of it and not adding tons of things to it just can we enjoy that flavor can we save it and can we switch it out so that's you know just an example someone else um may may be turning to crunchy pretzels and a salty snack every single day that's what they say looking for after dinner when they're watching television can we make a batch of you know spinach or kale chips in the oven Bake them hot, takes 20 minutes, sprinkle on your favorite spices and the whole family, you know, make it on a sheet and the whole family has a, a crunchy snack made from a healthy whole food that they can eat. So, you know, what are the what are the ways that are actually actionable? It's a recipe, it's an idea, it's a concept of changing it out, it's portion control. And so that they're leaving really with a, a practical plan to make that work because these sort of eat eat this, not that mentality that we live in in the United States is what helps people to actually fail. They can't sustain that habit. Um, they, unless there's a medical reason um, or there's a food allergy and intolerance, if they suddenly give up an entire food group, sometimes it's a healthy version of, of a food group. You know, they tend to fail because they start to crave that food group and then they come back to it. So one has to be flexible but also understand their motivations behind why they're doing it and help them kind of stay on that, stay on the plan as best they can. So as you think about advising patients with their eating, it's certainly eating is a piece of it, but as we look at it holistically, there's many other pieces that go into the factors of helping with anxiety. And one, I guess, kind of close into what we're eating is how we're eating. So How do you advise? What tips can you share on how to be more mindful? Because I think so many of us are, and I can speak certainly to myself, like sitting, multitasking, eating at my desk, doing work at the same time. And then all of a sudden I realize like, oh, I finished this lovely meal that I created for myself (laughs) and didn't even take a moment to enjoy it. So any tips around that? It's, it happens to all of us. In fact, it's just, as a resident in psychiatry, as a horrible eater, as an intern, I mean, I would be eating while walking, 
I would be eating while standing. I would be eating something in the call room that wasn't healthy. It was just so, you know, I, I, we, we all learn from our different experiences. I think first and foremost, we all lead busy lives. So is there a way that we can take even 10 minutes at lunchtime? Maybe, maybe you combine your 10 minutes outside with eating whatever it has you have for lunch. Um, and even if you haven't finished all of your lunch because you're having a busy day, you eat some of it in that nice environment and you eat the rest of it maybe at your desk. Um, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to put aside more time, but I think this when we start to do it for ourselves, we kind of put in lunch into our schedule. Um, I started doing that when I began writing my second book. I started to actually schedule lunch into my schedule because I found that between work and phone calls and meetings and writing, that if I didn't put it in, Elizabeth, I was... You know, it was four o'clock and I hadn't eaten. So I think that becomes important, scheduling it in, putting some time aside, changing sets. So, so going outdoors for 10 minutes or, you know, sitting with your family for that 10 minutes if they're available. Um, I think the same for dinner, you know, putting in the time where as much as possible, if you do have families or maybe you, um, you're you on your own and you zoom do a Zoom with a friend, uh, you connect with someone so that you, you're sitting mindfully eating, you're enjoying it and saving it, you're sharing the experience. Maybe you cook the same dish as a friend that's cooking. I often have my, my uh, patients do that because not only does it encourage them along that healthy path, they're then teaching their friend a recipe, they're doing it together. It's kind of like partnering up around, you know, the, the, those healthy habit changes. Um, the other, the other thing is, um, being, being, in a mindful space, which is hard to do when you're in the middle of a busy day. So I often have to change rooms, literally change my location and put my laptop, my phone aside for that period of time. And sometimes I'll, you know, speak to someone in my household. I'll make sure that I'm not at my computer working when, when I, when I'm eating, but it takes effort. It, it really does. Um, but I also find that when I do that, I'm enjoying my food. And I know it's a, I know it's affecting my digestion. I know I'm chewing differently. I know I'm enjoying the flavors differently. And it's so worthwhile that I want to do it again, you know. So, so that's when I actually started putting it into my, it's not perfect, but, but most often at least it, it, when I look at my schedule, I know, okay. So I've carved that time out for a break, you know, and it's, 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 and the other thing I like to do, is, you know, I build in um, stretch breaks and walking breaks and, you know, things that just just kind of help you um, parcel up your day so that you're not, because I think, you know, during the pandemic, it was so hard often, many of us were at our desks and our computers for hours on end and really had to walk ourselves back from the the habits that, that came out of the pandemic too. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was, I was looking at my schedule today and it is, you know, every hour without a stop until like seven o'clock. And so I quickly get my food and then sit right back in front of the computer. So sometimes it's unavoidable, but I True. do think being able to at least slow down and savor that meal certainly has to have, as you said, a better impact on our digestion and therefore our gut and our anxieties that we might be feeling and you know that i especially right now have days like that and it's not perfect i mean i i make i definitely make many many errors all the time but i do find that if i if i close my computer and i leave my phone in another room for the 15 minutes and you know sit in my kitchen or dining room it at least i might have to return immediately to my meetings and work but even that little gap makes makes a difference to the to how I feel, um, because you are taking care of yourself when you do that. Absolutely. So I'd love to jump back a little bit more into the science and talk about metabolism. So mm-hmm. we talked about the the connection between the brain and the gut and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But as I said before, what was interesting to me was metabolism. And I'm sure this is one that you hear often, or I I feel like is more common where someone might say, I'm having difficulty losing weight and I don't Mm -hmm. know why, and I'm anxious. And so those are Mm -hmm. all connected pieces. So if you could help uncover that. 
for us, that would be wonderful. Sure. You know, it, it turns out that some of the research and work I did in anxiety, um, some of the things that, that really helped me understand my work more was understanding as well that metabolism, you know, and, and the parts of the brain that are dealing with metabolism are also the the same parts of the brain that actually are where anxiety is centered. So the amygdala is a flashpoint for anxiety in the brain, but the amygdala and hippocampus are involved with anxiety, but they're also actually involved with metabolism. So one of the things I want people to understand is that when we make the connection between disorders like anxiety and metabolism, there is actually science behind it. And there's a way in which these are not just some things that we talk about, but they're actually, um, they actually are connected. So if you are, in fact, making an effort to eat healthier, to move yourself away from those uh, foods that are really going to lead you towards metabolic disease and problems with type 2 diabetes. So you're cleaning up your diet, you you know swapping out the, the foods that you were enjoying for healthier versions. You are, in fact, starting to not only help your improve your metabolism and your metabolic health, but you're also going to be impacting your anxiety. And I thought that was just super helpful for people to know because it's not a connection that we usually talk about. So one other connection also is on the immune system. And, you know, if we think about if I'm more anxious, does that mean that I'm more prone to immune deficiency or how should we be thinking about that? So, you know, the immune system uh, tilts out that. So we talked about the, the gut and brain. We talked about inflammation. You know, one of the things I should have said with the gut and brain as well is that 90 to 95% of the serotonin receptors are in the gut. And a large portion of serotonin is made there, major neurotransmitter, often called the happiness hormone. Well, another factor that we tend not to think about is that 70%, that's 7-0, 70% of our immune system is actually in the gut. So it's in the area in the same uh, same way where food is being digested and our immune system is involved. Now, you know, the immune system is more complicated. So what I do in the book is I break it down for people in terms of the different types of immune system, uh, different parts of the immune system, and the ways that it impacts us. But the, the bottom line about this is that the way that we eat impacts our immune system, impacts our anxiety. That's the that's a very simple way of us categorizing it. But I wanted them to understand that, you know, the immune system is involved in all of this. It's not separate to, to what we're doing if we're trying to work on our anxiety. So in this book, you've certainly uncovered so much research that, you know, over the last 20 years, as you were saying, like how much is involved in our understanding of the gut and the brain and how all, everything is connected. What's next in your research? Where do you think we're going in the next couple of years? What I'm most excited about, um, Elizabeth, is just the research around the gut microbiome because, you know, we're finding newer solutions, especially some uh, newer companies doing fantastic deep level research you know so beyond just the testing that we're doing in the gut microbiome we are looking at the dna and rna of actually of the microbiome and looking for patterns of how we can improve what your the read from your gut is is giving us and the solutions that we can find through foods and supplementation because you know we don't lead perfect lives and we don't eat perfectly, even if we're healthy eaters. So none of us is perfect. And that's where, you know, supplements do fill in the gap where we may just need a certain nutrient or a certain bit of help with a certain nutrient. And that's where I'm, I'm really excited because what I feel is that if we can get to the point of psychobiotics, which is really using food and other nutrients to work on mental health solutions, I think we'll be in a much better place, especially where we know that research has shown that when we take the medication, not everyone receives re receives remission or a full response. There are a good percentage of people who with a prescribed medication just don't get better. And because we know that, we know that we need more solutions. Yeah, well, your solutions of what we're putting at the end of our fork, I think is just such an incredible 
point in our in time to really be able to make it more approachable. And as you said, you know, if you're not able to see somebody or get prescriptions or have insurance cover, you know, what we're doing with our fork is the utmost importance and impact that we can do every day. So thank you for all of your work and bringing your new book. Everyone must go read it. And we're going to finish off with some rapid fire Q&A. Three things that you are currently loving. It could be a product, a TV show, a podcast, anything. All right. So I'll start off with a really weird one. When my mom visited in July, she lives overseas. She and I got into watching this really interesting BBC crime drama called Midsummer Murders. And I like uh, some of the, I like certain crime dramas because they're really clever. And, you know, and they're so removed from my everyday life that it's kind of like a fun thing to watch. So I watch, I, I'm loving that just because I find the, I find it, you know, when my brain is stimulated and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, who did, you know, the kind of whodunit idea, I've, I've really enjoyed that. So way, way off uh, from, from what I usually do. I'm really loving uh, some of the ways that I've, I've developed some re- recipes for lavender tea. And I've been practicing them and trying them at home and really gotten into it and find it because until until I really dug deeper into the work for this book and the research, lavender was often a scent or an oil if I went for a massage or a spa treatment. But actually, there are ways to make it into uh, tea that is that has been very exciting for me. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. And the third thing I've been trying is to really... Um, spend time in in kind of growing a little herb garden. So I don't have that much space, but I've really been trying my hand at it this, from the summer, and it's been fun. I I I I'm hoping I can keep up and tend to these little herbs because even if I have a little fresh batch of a different herb every week, it just uplifts my life. It uplifts my salad. It uplifts my food, and it's just it's just fun. You know, it's it's a fun activity to um, to garden a little bit and enjoy that. Love that. What's your favorite medicinal herb that you're growing? So, you know, I, I have to tell you, I love basil. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't, I can't give it to one. I love cilantro. I love mint and I love basil and they actually relatively, I, I've had some luck with some of them. So uh, I, if either one of them were, you know, in a spurt right now, I'd be happy. So I can <laughs> always integrate them into something. Favorite words to live by. I would say love, gratitude, and kindness. Three foods that are always in your grocery shopping cart. <laughs> Any type of leafy green. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big leafy green person, so you'll find watercress, dandelion greens, romaine lettuce, uh, arugula. Um, cruciferous vegetables, you'll always find me with either broccoli, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and uh, the third would be, um, you know, I'm always refreshing my my nuts, my seeds, and my, um, uh, you know, whether it's the flax seeds or needing more hemp seeds to make hemp milk. Those are usually often things that I will need on a regular basis because I go through them uh, all the time. A favorite book or podcast for growth? So one of the books I've, I've continued to really always rely on Deepak Chopra's um, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success because I just find it has always grounded me throughout my life since I was a teenager. And I go back to it because I learn something new from it each and every time. It's not a huge, long book. And so it's it's been a very meaningful part of my, my journey. And lastly, what are your top three anxiety-lowering techniques? Um, I love breath work. And I encourage people to find a breathwork exercise that they can do and learn so that if they ever have a, pa- a feeling of panic or an anxiety burst that, you know, kind of goes through their body, that they can turn to this breathwork exercise. Um, so that's a huge one. Um, What's your favorite? Is, do you have a favorite breathwork so technique? I, I, yes, I like, um, I like um, alternate nostril breathing because I find it pretty easy to do. 
and one can pretty much find a YouTube video on it um, to learn how to do it. So I actually like that. Um, also, by the way, just the power of a deep breath, like just the, just stopping, taking that mindful moment in your in your day and taking a deep breath. Um, it can be can just kind of help you reset as well. Um, I like taking a walk and just being outdoors, and I make every excuse to do that. Um, and the other the other one is just having a mindfulness practice. So um, it doesn't have to be a meditation. It can be words that you words or thoughts or peaceful scene that you close your eyes and meditate to. It doesn't have to be structured as 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 what other people may be doing, but I've uh, diff practiced different types of meditation throughout my life. Love that. Well, in closing, thank you so much for being here today. Where can everybody find you and your latest book? Thanks so much, Elizabeth. So you can find my latest book uh, wherever books are sold. It's available for pre-order. It's called Calm Your Mind with Food. You can find it at my website. Now, if you go to my website, which is umanidumd.com, um, or you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can also do at umanidumd.com, we have a special pre-order bonus. So you can sign up for it there. And you buy the book on the website. It will be shipped to you December 26th and 27th. But you also get uh, a link to my pre-course in anxiety and several other downloadable items that you can actually use to work on anxiety while you wait for the book to be at hand. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. Absolutely love the book and can't wait for the next book to come out uh, after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. It's always lovely to talk to you. I appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.